McKay. Welcome to the United podcast for his very special episode. We're all over the news regarding um, sort of Donny van der Beek at the moment and all the other transfer rumours. We have a very yeah. special guest on this week's podcast. And sort of speaking of van der Beek's and he, he's moved from Ajax to United, who better to get on the podcast than a player who has moved from Ajax to Man United and sort of more importantly from a United point of view, a 1985 FA Cup final winner, um, Mr. Jesper Olsen. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm not bad at all, Tom. Thank you for... On, yeah, well, we're a bit bored down here, obviously, because of the restrictions that we have with the lock-ins and all sorts. So uh, hopefully we get some good news this coming Sunday. Well, that's the thing. Every time we seem to have a guest on, we always sort of have to start the podcast, you know, and sort of house things with COVID. Because obviously for the for listeners um, who don't know, yes, but obviously lives down in Melbourne. And for those that are keeping score at home, Melbourne and coronavirus are a very controversial issue at the moment around um, Australia in, in Sydney. Yeah we get more news about Melbourne than we do about Sydney. So how have the last few months been in regards to your lifestyle and how coronavirus has impacted you? Uh, it's, I mean, obviously it's boring because we can't do anything. So we cannot do any, any training and, and not get out and do the things that you would normally do as a, as a, you know, families or work-wise or all these things that you just take for granted. So it's obviously been tough for sure. And I think everybody's getting to, to the kind of end of their, that the teller, as I say, because of the uh, the length of these uh, lockdowns. So, but hopefully Sunday we'll we'll get some news of relaxing some of those uh, restrictions. So we'll just cross fingers and uh, and hope for the best. Yeah, I think that's all you can do. You can just uh, yeah, fingers crossed and um, yeah, just hope that everything does um sort of try to return to some type of normality. But we'll get into the podcast. What we'll do when we have a, have a guest, a privilege to have a guest like yourself, one we'll just sort of talk a little bit about your career, certain memories, um, certain maybe sort of highlights from the career, et cetera. Yeah. Um, probably mainly centred around United, because obviously it's a main United podcast, but um, obviously very interesting career, um, especially before United. So we'll just start off with Ajax. Sort of, first of all, how did the move come about to Ajax as a young player? How, where were you playing? How did that sort of move eventuate? Yeah, I started uh, playing in a small town where I grew up, and then moved moved from there to uh, to uh, a, a bigger town uh, that had a, a a bigger team uh, in terms of if you wanted to do do um, better as a player and get into a, a different level of playing. So that was a, a place called Nestford, uh, and I moved there when I was uh, fifteen. And from there on, uh, managed to play at the highest level there and, and get into the first team. And then Ajax already in those days had four Danish players playing there. Uh, and there was already a good connection between the, the Danes going to Ajax and, uh, and Ajax liking the way they, they settled in and, and kind of took everything on board. So that had already, I think, been big advantage for me. And um, when Ajax came looking, so there was not really any doubt in my mind that that was the right club. I watched... The 71, 2 and, and 3, all the Champions League uh, finals uh, in, in Denmark. So I very, knew very much a, a lot about the club. So it, it was just, it, it was an easy choice in a lot of ways. And I think it was the right time when I was, when I was 20 to move across. Was there a little bit, you just mentioned there, and we'll get into your move to United later on in the podcast, but you talked about you sort of knew a lot about Ajax before you arrived there. When you arrived, was there a bit of a, bit of a, not a fear factor, but a bit of a daunting aura about the place? Were you a little bit, Obviously, nerves going to a big team, but was there what sort of feeling in regards to you? Obviously, you knew you were a good player, but taking that step up, was there a bit of a do I really belong at this level? Yeah, I, I think the the impression obviously of, of Ajax when 
in the early 70s and so forth. They, they had an incredible team and some unbelievable players. Uh, I went to Ajax and it was um, probably a, a period of um, or, or that time. It was They were still successful, but they were trying to bring some younger players through with a mixture of, of, of older ones. So there was a, a kind of a, a good stage for me to, to join because they were really looking to play the as they always do the youth, but there was certainly a transition of, of players. Um, so when I arrived, it was uh, a, a young team. So to settle in was also easier because you were settling in with young players and they were used to having uh, foreign players there. So it was uh, not, not a problem. Everybody spoke English and uh, it was a, it's a very, in terms of um, the structure in those days, a very small club actually. It has changed a lot now, obviously, with everybody being in the same in the same area from youth all the way up to the uh, to the first team so that was a bit of a different structure so it wasn't it was okay actually it wasn't that that daunting um so mm-hmm. and the four Danes already there they helped a lot too so that was uh, that was certainly an advantage as well well you mentioned there in terms of you came into a young team and i think that's whenever we hear the word ajax or the team ajax we always sort of in our, in our mind we think okay this will be a young exciting team it's yeah. something that's sort of instilled in the culture in terms of the development of players, while well, we see this sort of, obviously Ajax have a very famous academy, but even in the sort of when they come into the first grade team, it's still almost like got an impression of a, really about development. Like obviously results do come first in the professional game, but even when you do go into the first team, there's still that almost coaching element at Ajax rather than just results-based. Was that still a, was that present when you were playing or is that something that you think has come on sort of over the last maybe 20, 30 years? No, I think it's a little bit like in Denmark. If you if you want to to uh, prove yourself at the highest level, you have to leave Denmark. And I think even at uh, at Ajax, and that was just the case in those days as well, and, and even more now. So I think that you leave Holland because the, the league in Holland is obviously a, a good league, but if it's not the same as the Italian or the the English, the German or the French or the the Spanish. So. If you want to go to the next level, if we also just talked about Donny going to, possibly to uh, to Man United, that, that that that's the next step. And I think in everybody's mind, uh, both uh, clubs and players, they know that in Holland too. If if you are a good player, at some stage you will decide to go to a bigger a bigger club. It just depends on where you go. I think at the end, and I, I think that's that's why they they're so good at creating young players who were really at a young age could play well in, in Dutch football, but then go to the next level and not not be uh, daunted at all when they go to these big clubs. So uh, they have they have learned their, their trade really well as, as young players in, in Holland. Well, speaking of players, and we'll sort of get into your individual career as well, just for some of our younger listeners, because we've obviously got a, a young listener base, your style of play, if you could maybe compare yourself as a player to, to a current player, who would who would you, whether it be a Man United player, an Ajax player, or just a someone more general, who could you sort of say sort of mimic your style a little bit now, if you could? <laughs> I'm not quite sure actually. Uh, the the uh, I I mean I, I was always known for being very fast and 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 uh, dribbling and passing was was probably my my strongest points. I mean I got some goals as well, but assists was probably more my. Um, my weapon as well. So I, I was, um, bec- because I still am small, but it was uh, small and only I think 59 kilos in those days. It was, mm. it was one of those things that that uh, people 
took to me before because of my dribbling and my ability to, to go past players and uh, and create something. Uh, so they always seem to say that the, the the excitement was was there when I had the ball and they were not quite sure what was going to happen. So and uh, uh, yeah, I, I've obviously I, I love that way of playing and uh, thank God a lot of uh, a lot of people liked it too and clubs liked the way that that they saw saw me play as well. So that was my I suppose my big advantage was that I was was very fast and could could dribble at uh, at, at a high speed as well. Well, just uh, just on that last point in terms of dribbling at high speed, I was having this conversation with a guy at work, a football mate of mine, and we're talking about sort of wingers in terms of people who can move the ball fast. And we're talking about Dutch footballers, players who play in the Eredivisie. In terms of Ali and Robin, we're talking about wing play. And obviously, you joined Man United, and Man United is all famous for having two wingers, one on the right, one on the left. But Ian Robin has almost changed the role of the winger. What was we're talking, say Man United, it was a right footer on the right hand side, a left footer on the left hand side. Yeah. But now it's very a very rare thing where you have that. It's very much an inverted winger, but where a left footer plays on the right hand side and a right footer will play on the left. Yeah. Just wondering, in terms of like a development side of thing from Ajax, is that something that is sort of really encouraged now? It's almost okay if you're right footed, you're going to play on the left, vice versa, or it's sort of case by case basis. Yeah, I mean, I think it has it certainly changed uh, over the years, and it also depends. I mean, in the <clears throat> excuse me, in the old days, we had more. Um, I suppose if if you look at the English game in in the eighties, the English game was very much um, long balls up to the front, um, the striker. There's a tall striker, no, and a smaller striker, and then mm. heading on or holding up the ball, and then. Um, people try to help them from there, um, it, and it has changed now because everybody is now mixed in from all all different places, type of place. of the German German league is, is also full of foreign players. The same with the English and the French and so forth. So the, this the type of and style of play has changed. I mean, in the old days, you could tackle well. You you were not supposed to tackle from behind and and all other things that went with that. But it was a completely different. A much tougher game in, in those days in terms of that. Uh, uh, so I, I think that's also where you see some of the some of the old games where they they uh, uh, tag, get tackled from left, right, and centre. Maradona, when you when you watch these old uh, clips from Napoli and Argentina, that was uh, horrendous. Some of the tackles that went on in those days. So I think that is, has been good for the game and, and changed it a lot because you get more more time and more protection. So as, as wingers and, and we are the ones that normally have to create um, the play on, on the flank. So that certainly helps uh, nowadays. And this is certainly made the game possibly more watchable as well, because there's not mm. so many stoppages and, and free kicks. Well, you just mentioned there in terms of Maradona, I'm not, not going to get into a podcast about Maradona, but obviously the famous player who uh, played a special part in your career was obviously Johan Cruyff. I just want to get a little bit into your time with him. But first of all, start off with one of the most famous incidents everyone knows about is obviously the penalty, the past yeah. penalty. I'm just wondering, because obviously everyone has seen on YouTube, it, it looks so simple. But yeah. obviously, we've seen a lot of times it go wrong. We've seen the attempt with Henri and Perez. I think we saw Neymar almost um, muck it up a few weeks ago. Just wondering, in the build-up to that, whose idea was it? Was it something you did at training? Was it spontaneous? Was it was it your yeah. idea? Just um, yeah. your general thoughts leading up to it. A lot of people have asked me whose idea was it, and I, and I always ask them 
you know, this what who what who do you think uh, came up with the idea? Because I was 21 and Cruyff was 37 and the best player in the world probably at that time. So you can you can work out who came up with the idea. And I mean, he, he chose me for different reasons. I think he chose me because he, he probably trusted I could pass the ball back to him. But also being a left-footed player, okay. to play it out to the left. And, and naturally, you, you, you get the ball to your left foot and you play back to him. And so it was his idea. And we, we trained in September, two or three times after training we just did it and then didn't talk about it until that day in December when he says let's do it and uh, that, it, that was how it happened and probably better that that it came like that so you didn't have too much time to get nervous because that was uh, obviously very unusual and in the stadium I know the referee players and the, the supporters too they was not quite sure if that was actually allowed but mm. the referee as we know gave it and it was uh, one of those things that has certainly stuck with me now where uh, when I speak to people, that they, they, everybody seems to remember that one. Do you ever, do you ever sort of not regret, but do you ever think what, what what would have happened if I just took the shot and maybe just killed it in the corner yourself? I wouldn't have dared to take the shot because <laughs> he was waiting for Johan, and you can see he takes a little jump. He's a, he's also very nervous that I get the ball right. back to him and then he can put it in the net. So no, there was no chance of that. It was very much uh, let just make sure you get the ball back to me. So well, well, speaking of Croydon, you mentioned Maradona earlier. And pretty much every football fan, when you have a who's the greatest player, sort of Maradona and Pele spring to mind. And you, you look now, currently, sort of Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo are starting to get into that debate. But it's usually who's the best player ever, and you have a debate between Maradona and Pele. But a lot of people will have Johan Cruyff in there, if not right in those with those two players, almost in that next bracket below. I'm just wondering, we all talk about Maradona and Pele, but I'm talking in terms of a legacy. Johan Cruyff's legacy is sort of is far more impactful on, on football as a whole. I'm just thinking, why do you think that is? Obviously, as someone who shared the pitch with him. Yeah, I mean, so so Johan was um, was much more of a, I think, from what I know and what what I gather, he it was as a as a player and a person that he was always basic with the game. There, there was always something that trying to work out. You know, can you can you think three or four steps ahead? You know, when you uh, he was just a very very clever player in terms of, of seeing the game, but also demanding of other players around him and telling them where to go and and uh, being a, a re- really a, a incredible thinker of the game and saw obviously things like like the, a lot of players don't see uh, um, on the pitch. So that was his strength, I think. Uh, and then I also think there is something about the, the dots as a whole that they, they are just... Um, so influential in, in the world game, they 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 have loved to come up with new ideas and new ways of playing, and and even now, we, we if you look back in those in those uh, it's, it's the seventy eight I think World Cup in Argentina or or, or even the seventy four, they are already doing pressing mm-hmm. in those days. So you see, t- you know, five or six players going towards the player from the other team who has the ball to try and press him with the ball back. So that's nothing new. That's the, the Dutch was always we call it total football or whatever we call it, Tom. But they've always been very coming up with things that you think this is not really, but 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 it works, and they work on it really. They, they work on it in a really good way because you think about what they're doing and it's think about the end product too, where we're going to go with this. And uh, they they are just they they have something special. The Dutch, I think, in terms of development, yeah. You talk about that. You mentioned when we were talking about the penalty. Johan Cruyff was sort of at the end of his career, and you're a young player coming through on the training ground. What sort of 
role did Cruyff have? Was he almost like a player manager? Was he solely the player? Was he what type of impact did he have at training in terms of that outlook of football? I, th- I think he was I mean, influential, certainly some of the things, but he came back and also had to prove himself back at Ajax after coming back from America. And we were doing pretty well with, uh, before he came back because we, we won the, uh, the league and uh, the year uh, 81, 82 before he joined us as well. So I, he was uh, kind of feeling his way back in as well, I think. That was the, uh, but as always, he, he would obviously have his opinions. And there was a few older players, Wim Janssen as well was an older player who played in those World Cups too. So Pete Shriver's a goalkeeper, also one of the older players. So there was a mixture of, of old and young. So, but he was uh, he was certainly, again, in a, in a good way, trying to help the young players and uh, try and give them the, his uh, experience and, 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 and help them on the pitch, which I also like about the Dots. There's a lot of that, you know, you try and help them and guide the younger players to teach them what should be done on the pitch and on the training ground. So, they, they, uh, on the whole, I really had a, it's a, it's a special place for sure. Not only Ajax, I think, it's, it's Dutch football. Hmm. Well, speaking of young players, young Dutch footballers at Ajax, just before we get on to your career at United, obviously United's newest signing, well, potentially newest signing, by the time you're listening to this, maybe it has been announced. Yeah. But um, just your thoughts on Donny van der Beek and what you do know of the player, how much you've seen of him, and obviously what you think his strengths are and what sort of where you see his future at United today in a so in United's midfield, where do you see him playing? I mean, of course, in midfield, and I think he'll be roaming a lot playing in midfield because of his energy and enthusiasm. And I think Donny's 23 years old and has done a lot with Ajax already. And he, there's no doubt he will be a, 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 a big gain for the team as a whole because of the way he's grown up with football. So that, there's no doubt about he would be a, a big bonus for United. Then you just got to try and link the players in together. Obviously, we know they finished brilliantly in the last part of the season and had a great run. Um, so I think with, with these kinds of players and bringing them in and obviously knowing what they have done already can only only be a bonus for sure. Well, on that, moving from Ajax to United, obviously, in my opinion, I'm sure in your opinion, Ajax is the biggest club in Holland, but obviously now going to the biggest club in England. What is that move like? Obviously, as someone who has done it, obviously the world has changed since then. He's going into this sort of global brand, but he's still going from a big club to another big club. What was that like in terms of, did you feel a difference or was it almost almost the same sort of culture? Or No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like night and day, Tom. It was uh, the the, I mean the the English as a whole was a, a completely different uh, world. But Ajax was, um, if you lost on the Sunday, you you you, there was not much said that week other than you were uh, looking forward to the to the next week and just doing the training and all the things, but not. It was very quiet. Ajax. It was purely ex. Uh, you were expected to win every game in a good way because that, that was just the way it was. They, they don't like to lose and they're always expected to win. And that was certainly a good thing. I'm not saying Man U did, weren't, weren't expected to win, but we had a completely different uh, setup at Man U. I mean, there was no break at Christmas sometimes. Uh, and people don't believe that when I say to some of the younger ones, we sometimes play Boxing Day and 27th of, uh, yeah. of December. So two games within 24 hours. Uh, and then you played against on the 29th and, and New Year's Day and, and then the cup started and stuff and the pitches in those days. Uh, there was no grass in November and there was sometimes water everywhere and it was just, 
completely different games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and training was was nothing like at Ajax because you just played too many games. So you played in Europe as well. You played national team and all that stuff. So there was a lot of downtime for sure. And in England, in those days, it was it, it was just a different world. It, it was tough. It was, but you had to be ready on the 13th of August when the season started, uh, and you learned that because players you could just see them when you the first year I went there in '84. Training, I thought this is, I mean, it's is easy. Training is nothing. You know, you you mm-hmm. you hardly did anything, but it was just leading up to that first game, and they were there on the 13th of December of. Um, uh, August, the players they knew exactly what what was um, what happened to, in preparation before the season started because they have done it so many times and that was a learning curve for sure. Uh, and then when the game started, then you also knew that was uh, they rolled up their sleeves and then they, it was mm. it was time to go at three o'clock. So uh, and it was in those days more obviously not many foreigners in, in England. So there was it was a, it, it was very interesting, very tough, and uh, the ones that stayed. On top and one at the end of the season deserved it because it's a long season that's for sure yeah well just on united we'll get into the sort of united fix of the podcast now you mentioned how you moved to ajax came about but how did the move from ajax to united come about like in terms of did, did you um, have a manager was there an agent involved did they make contact with you at a certain stage or yeah no there was no agent involved because it was a guy from denmark that that helped me to go to ajax too same thing to man united um but it was a, we played England in the European Championship qualification in '82 and uh, and '83, uh, and it was uh, I think there that's when Ron Atkinson saw saw me play, and I think that's where the interest came from those matches, um, and then we played Ireland too, and, and and so from there on I think there always was a little bit of a uh, from his side some interest uh, in, in me, and then. Uh, there was contact made, and uh, I always, as a young player, followed Man United uh, in the early stages. So obviously, that was that was uh, for me not 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 a. I mean, I could have stayed at Ajax, of course, but again, like we talked about earlier today, Tom, the the, the next step is to go to a bigger club, and uh, and when United came knocking, there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to go there. Well, you just mentioned a little bit earlier in terms of there weren't too many foreigners playing in England at the time. Was yeah. that sort of is that something that played on your mind? Obviously, when United came knocking, you, you made your decision. But was there a bit of a hesitancy, thinking, "Geez, this is quite a, a unique situation, a unique ground. I'll be one of the first to do this." Was a I don't want to say hesitancy in a bad way, but was it a like an issue for you to think about that not many people do this? No, not really, because I think as a, as a I mean, I've moved for two to two clubs already. The Danish club from my hometown, and then. Uh, to Ajax as well, and I think football, is, as as we know, we, they're very much the same wherever you go. So I don't think that was a was was a problem at all. And uh, the, the big attraction, I think, with English football as well was that I've followed so many people around the world from a very young age, seen knew all the players from the different teams and watched it every Saturday afternoon, the live game and stuff. So it was exciting because you knew all the stadiums too you were going to go and play at and. Uh, uh, it, it just was some. It was in the, yeah, in your blood. I think a little bit the English football from very young age. So it was a, there was no hesitation at all uh, that I was was going to go to United when they came knocking. Yeah, well, m- many of our members have said definitely, and we're obviously always going to ask this question. But obviously, a very famous moment in your career, and obviously United's history, the 1985 FA Cup final. 
we all have sort of favourite FA Cup finals as United fans. My personal one is sort of the 94 FA Cup final. It's the first one I remember. We will obviously have a very famous one again in the treble or the actual match itself wasn't too famous, but obviously the treble winning season. Yeah. I think the 85 FA Cup final probably goes down. It's probably United's most famous FA Cup final, obviously for the famous goal from Norman Whiteside. But just in terms of an FA Cup final, I still think it's fantastic, the FA Cup, but we can't hide away from the fact that it has lost its edge in recent seasons. Yeah. Just the day in terms of when you obviously knew you go into the FA Cup final, going to Wembley, just your sort of memories of that day, sort of going to the stadium, because it was a different procedure then. It was a it was an event. We're now just 90 Correct. minutes on a Saturday. We're there. It was the whole day. Just your sort of memories of the day. Yeah. So the the you're, you're spot on. Tom. It's a completely different world nowadays. The FA Cup, and again, we we all remember uh, sitting again on Saturday. There was the last game of the season in, in the English calendar. And uh, everybody watching it, and, and of course that was it was uh, a whole week actually. You 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 go down to London the week before uh, the game, and you you have your family over there as well. They come to the to the hotel, and they they come to the game, and they come afterwards. And uh, it, it, the whole um, the whole celebration of, of in that week just fantastic because you, you your season have gone, and you're just looking forward to this one game. So you're having a laugh, and you're, you're you know you're fit not enough, obviously, at the end of the season. But and that is a massive occasion. So, and Everton already won the the uh, the league and the Cup Winners' Cup. So it, it was yeah, just the whole the, the way they do it, and and the English are very good at, uh, at doing these things. It was all top class, and it was just a fantastic event in terms of having your family and friends around too, and then obviously. I only got to Wembley with Man United once in the cup, and uh, and then to win it is, is obviously the icing on the cake because then the, the party afterwards and go back to Manchester on the bus and, and with the family as well on a train up to Manchester. The whole thing is very, very, very special. I don't think you can. That is how I, I think the the FA Cup in a lot of players uh, and, and and people's minds still is, but obviously it has changed for sure. Yeah, it has definitely lost its. A little bit of a sparkle, but I suppose that is with a lot of things nowadays that have changed over time, haven't they? So, well, we look at the goal, and it's obviously Norman Whitehall is a good friend of the supporters' club as well. Yeah, we look back and it's a sort of iconic goal, but did it really feel iconic at the time, or were you just in the moment of okay, this is a football game, it's a goal, we're trying to win the game, or did you feel it was something special? No, it was something special because Kevin Moran has been, had been sent yeah. off, obviously, as the first player ever to be sent off in the FA Cup final. Uh, and you know when you play Everton, it's, it's extra time and with 10 men. Of course, you, you, you're you kind of thinking of, you know, we might have to play again or uh, and, and stuff like that. So, of course, it, it was a, a huge relief that, mm. that Norman scored an amazing goal when you look at it from all the different angles nowadays. It's just... It's just mm. There's not much space to get the ball uh, past Neville. Uh, so, he, he, of course, it was. Uh, and then it turns out to be the winning goal. And, uh, the, the, yeah, if, uh, the, the whole thing just on that day, I suppose, fell into place for us. Yeah. Well, our secretary here from the Man United Supporters Club, Emma, um, sent in a question just saying, how does that FA Cup final win or the FA Cup final winner's medal sort of compared to the other trophies you won with Ajax? Is it the same feeling? Do you have different emotions? Do you sort of place one above others or don't really think about that? Or 
Yeah, it's, it's a weird thing because with Ajax, when you win the league, you don't get a medal or anything. So that's a funny yeah. thing, a trophy, the club. Uh, so that you don't really have any, you, you have that you won the league and whatever, <laughs> with how many points. Uh, so you have an FA Cup medal, of course, which is always a treasure. And, uh, you know, we show that sometimes to when when I go and give a speech or something or, of, of you know, even now on Instagram or something, if something pops up, we... We kind of made a little story about that too, but um, so the, I mean the, the, the cup final is, is massive, absolutely. It is a one-off occasion that final, and it's and to get and to win it, of course, that is the the highlight. I think the Ajax uh, winning the league and the cup with Ajax uh, in one year as well, the double, it, of course, you, you fantastic, yeah. And I had a great time at Ajax, and it was a. Uh, just a, a great journey and a great step on on onto the next uh, next club. So, but the FA Cup is definitely the it stands out. That's as a really very 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 special moment. Yeah. Well, continue on with United. You obviously had a very what's sort of well known incident with um, Remy Moses. And just in terms of your United career at the time, did you think your United career was sort of coming to an end there? Because like, that was the time just before Ron Atkinson left, I think, from memory. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I, I think uh, so. The Remy Moses incident also. Uh, there was a Danish um, journalist and a photographer, so they they got everything uh, at that training session. So there, so there was no hiding. <laughs> but it was not me and Remy had no problems or anything like that. So I never really, I think we never really. Uh, just one of the, just an incident training ground. Yeah, and nobody ever really got to the bottom of it. It was one of those things, and it was yeah. I I didn't. Uh, had no problem with him afterwards. There was obviously a, uh, a bit of a, I, I suppose, uh, standoff uh, for a while, but never had a problem with him uh, before mm. that at all. So, um, and I don't know if it's, I think we had kind of, Ron Atkinson was a fantastic manager. Loved players, go and play, you know, we are not going to change the way we didn't buy you because we're going to change you. And that was not only me, there was a lot of players that was just, there was something missing, um, obviously something missing somewhere. I remember the the, the league uh, uh, in one season we had, I think we won 10 uh, of the, fir the first 10 games and drew the 11th, I think. Uh, and that was the season we thought, oh, maybe we have a, a chance here because everything was going brilliantly. And, uh, and then we, we kind of, again, lost our way a bit. So I don't think that was... Um, uh, the, the end of, of my career, I think the of my United time, it was it was more that again United was they were expected to do something and it, it had to had to deliver. And if Ron Atkinson or, or, or whoever it was, Saxton or, or the manager, it's a big club and they expect things to go well. Yeah, and I think Ron probably um, he did all all he could to make it it, it, it an exciting team because he loved exciting players, exciting football, but it just didn't work out, I suppose. And one of those things is that he was not the the first one to go for Man U. It certainly hasn't been the last one either. So uh, just one of those things as a coach. Yeah, no, definitely. It's become a growing trend over the last couple of years, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to witness it yeah. anytime soon with Solskjaer. But um, just obviously speaking of managers, then Sir Alex obviously arrived. Just your sort of general impact and sort of relationship with Sir Alex when he did come in, sort of was there a change in sort of the way you sort of saw you in United time or...? Yeah, the, the, of, of course there was. I mean, 
bigger picture for for Alex. So Alex is, you know, he, there was once there was stuff to do with the team at the time he came in, but he also had a bigger picture. You know, wanted to big build a better training facilities. You know, get get different players in, and he had a it, it, certainly something in his his head where he wanted to take the club. And we know, obviously, everything else uh, or the rest is history, as we say. But there was certainly discipline, and I remember I told that to somebody else the, uh, last week that we had a. The new uh, training ground, Carrington. There was a, a get together of of the players of so first team, second team, and and some of the young players there too. And I, I remember he was uh, talking to all of us about this is what's going to happen, this is what we're going to do. And uh, I, I don't remember what he said, but that's a lot of times we don't remember what the manager said. So, mm. but in this instance, there was two young boys there, and it was a Scottish, Scottish young Scottish guy and an Irish guy, and. They, they were talking while he was talking and he said once, you know, Joe and I, I think Joe was one of the others, I can't remember, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, nice, in a nice way, don't, don't talk anymore. And then uh, he started again and then they talked again and they were, they were shown the door, they were never to be seen again. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of set the tone. You thought, okay, this is a, this is a different uh, kettle of fish in terms of what, uh, what he expects. So, and that kind of, everybody was on, on alert, they said, "Okay, if if you want to be on on his side, you're going to go with him, of course." And and as we know as well, Tommy it took him took him seven years really to, and thank God he stayed on and was not shown the door because uh, he he changed it for in an amazing way. And the the other thing is um, a lot of um, people around Europe outside the UK in those days. Uh, they, they never understood that as a manager he never took a training session mm. he, he was he was never he was out watching he was whatever but he never took a session well what Marching impact up. then did he have on your you as a player then obviously as a manager he has this influence what you just mentioned there you sort of couldn't cross him you had to be on his side and you had to do everything so really strict by the book but in terms of as a manager we hear that hear this sort of all the time about Fergie. he just let players go and play however as a manager he wasn't really on the training ground helping you as a player. So how was that sort of view as a player thinking, okay, he's the manager, is he really doing anything for me? Like, did you get that feel? Or? Yeah, but I think that that's also one of the things, Tom, I think that at that level, even at IAS, I mean, they let you, you, you get a bit of directive in terms of tactics and so on, but really you, what you find is how, and I think that's still the same, but also that takes time and players have to understand each other. You're giving that uh, role to make sure that you you get to understand your teammates. So on the left hand side, I understand the left back and the left left midfield player, and, and maybe a little bit the striker as well. But and the number ten because they're the ones you kind of have most to do with. So you have to to get to understand when do they want the ball and when do they do this and when do you come short or go long and all that stuff. And it takes time as a team to develop that the understanding and the communication and. And all the different bits that goes with the, with attacking and defending. So that's really what it is. And I suppose in teams nowadays, it's very much the same. You, you need to understand the players in your team and who is the talkers, who's the ones that you expect. Well, they don't say anything, but they will be there. You just know they're there. And uh, that's teamwork and team understanding. So you, I don't think you had to do a lot as a manager, but you have to pick somebody up when they're down and you might have to just a few words here and there. But as a whole, when you when you're at United, you I mean you you're not going to teach a lot of players to play, yeah. 
just getting the confidence and the, the the best they can do for the team is hopefully what you can get out of them. So every every match they perform to a seven or eight and hopefully sometimes to a nine and ten. Yeah, so definitely, um, someone playing at Ajax or someone playing at Man United or any professional team like that, you're a professional fo- footballer because you can play football. <laughs> you don't need to be told how to kick a ball. It's just those little things yeah. and such a sort of mental thing, a mental um, Absolutely. Sort of game. Absolutely. Just, um, before we wrap up the podcast, obviously talking to Man United FA Cup winner from, from Denmark who played in Holland as well. How did yeah. the move to Australia come about? Well, we had a... We, so I've... I've I went to, uh, just from leaving United. Actually, I went to France, and I must say that the, the French, the French football in Bordeaux and in Cannes up in Normandy was also exceptional. There were some fantastic players in, in those in those days, and I, I ended up playing uh, with Jean Tigana and Chires uh, as well, who have, who have played against earlier for the French team. And my God, when we talk about good players, they are they are also some of the best in the world. So uh, there was a, a great experience too, where they love football and they. They certainly they live for it as well. So that was a really positive experience too. Um, and then finished in 92, we, we started a, a sports management company in 94. Uh, Kevin Moran, my old team at Emmanuel, and a, a gentleman that um, called Paul Stratford, who still looks after Wayne Rooney as a, yeah. a sports agent uh, this day. Um, and in, in all of that, uh, from 94 to 2003, we got two Australian um uh, guys that worked uh, out here in Australia for for players and uh, and helped us to get some of the players into places in in Europe and that's that's how I got to know them and they always said come and have a look in Australia and I said well it's just too far away you know it's it's just not even on the radar but then we we managed to do something with the business and uh, we had had time to kind of reflect on different things and I said to them okay we'll come and have a look and that was in two thousand. And three uh, in um, at Easter, and then we moved here in September, uh, August, late August, September 2003, and yeah. has been here since, obviously. So yeah. No, interesting. Now, obviously, now I'm not sure what the current situation with coronavirus in Melbourne has impacted this, but obviously, the director of football at Future Football and Academy, an academy down in Melbourne. Just wondering if you yeah. want to just give a little bit of information about that, and a little bit of a plug. But we'll put all the um, Instagram accounts and links to your to the. Yeah. Um, Academy all over our Instagram and Twitter, but did you just want to tell us a little bit about it and sort of how it came about? Yeah, I mean, we, 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 we it's called Future Football, the, the company now, so uh, we, we are very much about development of, of players, development of coaches, uh, and, and take teams as well in, in terms of uh, going in and help coaches uh, with, with their tactical or technical development of teams. So uh, my, my biggest... Uh, passion is certain development of players. And that's where we have a lot of discussion in not only here, but across the board. I think the the biggest thing as young players is to have uh, have fun to a certain age. And then after that, you start with a little bit of tactical uh, input, but development of players is really what it's all about. It's not about winning when you're, mm. when you're eight or nine or, or 13 or 15, it's, it's, it's great to win. And of course, you, you if you can win, you want to win, but it's more about the actual player himself or herself, how do I progress during the season as a player? And, and what, what do I have to do? And what is expected of me and stuff like that? I think that's a, a lot more important, obviously, because if you don't get it in the early stages or as, as young players, yeah, you will never get it. So I think that's where a lot of times we're trying to, to really install that in, in, in players, coaches and clubs as well and, and 
whoever has the teams that it, you know development is is really what it's all about I think, so, I think it's great in terms of having someone like yourself who's obviously seen it sort of firsthand at Ajax and myself who's grown up in Australian football have seen sort of the old school Australian approach to football and sort of we see where our national team is at the moment off the back of yeah. that sort of progression yeah. through the younger ranks and it hasn't quite worked but I think um, yeah, having someone who obviously Ajax the development in Ajax is such a sort of key component known all around the world but having someone actually firsthand who's witnessed it to be able to sort of implement it in Australia is only going to help. Yeah, and I, 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 we hope so for sure, and I hope so as well. The the big question mark is really that with young players, and again, boys or girls, is really we can only do so much because we only have them for, for a short time, let's say in a week. Mm. The, the ones that really want to do it and get to the next level and hopefully be a professional at the end, they're the ones who go and, and they will do a lot on their own. And that's like in the old days, you kick the ball against the wall or with your sister or your dad or your mom or whatever, but you use a lot of time with the ball. And that, that's, you see the difference with the players that do that, of course, like anything. The more you practice, the better you get. That's it. There's no secret really in that. In, and in business too, isn't it? The more, the harder you work in business mostly and the, the ones that become really successful, their stories or their journeys is normally one with the long hours and a, a lot of um, short night's sleep and stuff like that. So that's the way it works, isn't it? So if you want to do it, you've, you, you can certainly work it out very quickly. And that doesn't mean you're going to get there. Of course not. But without doing that, you certainly won't get there. No, I definitely agree 100%. I think a good little spot to finish the podcast. Now, just before we finish, I think, um, obviously, we've mentioned it a few times in terms of COVID-19, but from the supporters club here, the Man United supporters club here in Sydney, when Melbourne people are allowed out of their front doors and allowed to travel um, interstate, you're always welcome to come up to Sydney and sort of, Hopefully we have a good kickoff time and come to a, watch a match with some of our members. Or if uh, the kickoff times don't really happen, sort of get our monthly meetings. Um, I'm sure a lot of our members would love to meet a no former Man United player and FA Cup winner. No problem at all. I would look would look forward to that. Hopefully and, um, we get very soon. Yeah, ho- <laughs> hopefully soon. Ho- hopefully, yeah. look. I don't think it'll be 2020, but maybe in the 20 2021 season. Somebody. I mean, it's yeah, sadly that's probably the case. So, but we'll we'll take it as it comes and we'll uh, deal with it. Yeah, but um, yeah, for everyone listening to this, hopefully you enjoyed it. So please share the podcast with any United fans. I think it's an important story. I think we get so caught up in all these tedious transfer rumors. I think it's good to have a break from those and have a sort of listen to a former player who's got sort of only unique stories that only that individual can have. I really enjoy these type of podcasts we do. And for only a little podcast here in Sydney, Australia, I think um, some of the guests we've had have been amazing. And yes, it's an absolute um, honour to have you on. But in saying all those tedious transfer rumours, tune in next week because I'm sure we'll be discussing many more That's transfer rumours. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, if you whatever app you're listening to on, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, please um, subscribe and give whatever rating it allows. Um, hopefully a five-star rating if you enjoy it. Um, you're holding your phone now, so it only takes a few seconds to click a few buttons, but we definitely do appreciate all that. And we'll leave all yes for um, all his social media links and the future football links Thank to you. Instagram. We'll leave all those on all the posts. But um, hopefully yeah. everyone enjoyed that podcast, something a little bit different. And um, mainly a big thank you to you, Jesper. Really enjoyed that. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it too. And we'll, we'll keep in contact. Not a problem. No, definitely will. Um, and we'll chat to everyone next week. Cheers. Bye.